When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, I'm Boomer Esiason and welcome to another edition of our Game Time Podcast. Now our guest today is in the top 10 among active players in sacks, tackles, and games played. What's more, he was selected as the 2019 Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year. It's certainly a great pleasure to welcome Baltimore Ravens defensive end Calais Campbell. Calais, welcome to our Game Time Podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. All right, Clay, the first thing our listeners will notice is your distinct voice. Now, your younger brother, which I'm sure is terrorizing you these days, Jared, a former Cardinals defensive back, by the way, he turned to be a stand-up comedian, once said, Calais's voice sounds like there's somebody that he swallowed and they're screaming to get out. How do you respond to this characterization of your deeply pitched pipes? I'll just say that this voice is earned. You know, uh, it's a lot of passion, a lot of screaming and yelling. You know, uh, this is this this voice is earned by my love for football. You know, so um, you know I, I, I've been playing since I was six, and I've always made a lot of noise when I play. I still make a lot of noise, even though my voice is uh, you know a little more deep and a little more raspy than it used to be. But uh, you know, I definitely earned this one, so it's a badge of honor. So my brother can joke all he wants to, but I love it. <laughs> I can tell you, you remarkably sound like the great Reggie White. You really, really do. Wow. Now, as you, as you wind down your remarkably long and productive NFL career, you know, there's another championship that you've been eyeing, and that's the World Series of Poker. Man, you got your hands in everything. Did you find that there are any parallels between playing football and playing poker? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, there's a lot of parallels, especially I feel like as a D lineman. You know, uh, you got to be able to read things. You got to be able to, you know, when pre-snap reads in, uh, in football is so important. You know, I'm on a D line. And, you know, office linemen are giving me information. The way they look, quarterbacks do everybody, running backs, I'm looking at information. And, uh, you know, where offensive tackle tackles looking at me, you know, uh, he's usually coming down to double team. You know, if, if you look at him, he looks away. Uh, you know, or if he's, you know, looking kind of like, you know, out wide or looking up, you know, the center, the way he looks, you know, he's looking at the linebackers, you know, it's, it's pass, you know. And so you just start to get information. You start you know, all the precept information. Same thing in poker. You know, when guys are getting their cars, you know, you, you want to see what they're, you know, see how they respond. And when you look at them, you know, they usually give you some information. So, uh, but it's a lot more than that, too. But those are, it's just it's cool that how they connect. And uh, I think if you can be good as a pass rusher in the NFL or a deep assignment in the NFL, you can be good at poker. Now, do you wear sunglasses when you play poker? Nah, I, I contemplated, you know, I tried to wear sunglasses, but it wasn't for me. I'm too friendly. I like to talk and connect. I feel like <laughs> people wear sunglasses, they really try, they try to intimidate. They don't say a lot, you know, usually put a hoodie on, sunglasses. And they have headphones in, but they're not listening to anything. They just want to pretend like they want you talking to them. But that's not my style. I'm a I'm the friendly guy. I like to you know keep conversation going, talk a lot, tease them. You know, uh, you know. I think I intimidate by communication. Yeah, get them off their game for sure. Now, also possibly in the cards, so to speak, is for your future. As I read that you enjoy dabbling in acting, writing, and possibly even pro wrestling. So I want to know what nickname would you use in a ring, and would you be a hero or a heel? Now, yeah. knowing that the heel makes the most money. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, I want to be the hero still. You know, you know, it'd be fun to be the hero. You know, I want to, you know, I want to beat up the, the hill. You know, I know uh, those guys are the most most like though. You know, those guys are the ones that I feel like there's a lot of people who just cheer for the villain still. 
but I'm all about uh, I'm all about the uh, the hero, no matter what. But I think Big Big Swole's about to call myself on the football field on uh, my Friday jersey, so we're going with Big Swole for now. You know, the funny thing is, is I don't see you after talking to you being a heel. That's that would be a hard thing for me to swallow as a as a viewer. Now, listen, you're 36 years old and you're nine months older than your defensive coordinator Mike McDonald. And uh, why did you say watching the Rams Super Bowl last year, their win inspired you to come back this season? You know, uh, I feel like that game was won by their defense. You know, seeing Aaron Donald take over the game in the second half. You know, Von Miller. You know, those guys just making plays. And I just felt like, uh, you know, this team that we have here uh, with the Ravens, you know, a lot of similarities just with the, you know, the older wise vets, you know, who uh, have the ability to help inspire the young guys. You know, I just felt like, uh, you know, and plus just, I mean, just knowing like, you know, like seeing them celebrate, seeing them all excited, seeing them, you know, just making, you know, the plays they need to do to make the, to win the ball game, but really just the celebration they had. Just like, wow, like, uh, you know, I want to feel that feeling. You know, I know I've been close. I've been so close. I know that with proper uh, preparation, you know, I can be close again. And so it's just like, uh, you know, I, I want to experience that feeling before I, before I hang them up and walk away from the game. You know, back when the Ravens traded for you back in March of 2020, GM Eric DaCosta said that you played like a Raven. Now, I know exactly what that means. Tell the fans out there what that means to play like a Raven. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, it was established, you know, by the, you know, the guys that, you know, when the team got traded, got moved here um, in what, 96, you know, Ray, Ray Lewis, you know, every, you know, uh, I mean, all the greats, you go down the list of all the greats, uh, you know, they kind of established a way of playing football. And it really was like, you know, um, like everybody, everybody has talent, you know, uh, talent's going to win you some ball games, but, uh, you know, effort was going to be the number one thing, you know, everybody flying around to the ball, playing with good technique. Uh, you know, having those, like, just, I mean, I feel like everybody on the team has leadership qualities. You know, everybody, I think, we like to kind of get guys that were captains. Uh, you know, communication is always going to be well. We're very unselfish football players. And uh, just, you know, I think it's uh, aggressive, smash-mouth, physical football. But I think what really, like, what, what, when you say play like Raven, though, it's like, uh, you know, you're going to be, uh, you're going to lead the lead in effort. You know, that's the number one thing. You're going to lead the lead in effort. If you can do that, you can be a Raven football player. You know what? Uh, my last game in 1997 was against the Ravens. It was a second-year player. His name was Ray Lewis. I'd never seen anybody play football like that. I went right into retirement. So <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what playing like a Raven means. You know, everyone wants to know out there, what is it like going against Lamar Jackson in practice? I mean, I watch him. Uh, you know, every time he plays, he does something fantastic, some crazy thing on the field that I've never, ever seen before. I'm wondering what it's like up close and personal. Yeah, well, I say it's a lot easier in practice because uh, you know we we get to we get to tag off on the hip and say we made the tackle. You know, we get to kind of run by him like, oh yeah, you know, put your hand up. You start doing a celebration like we made the play, knowing a hundred percent that uh, if that was a game situation, it's not going to be that easy. You know, you watch it. We, you know, every week we watching them go out there and uh, make guys miss like it's easy, and then like just keep his eyes on the field, creating time. You know, throwing I mean beautiful balls. You know, but it's definitely uh, a lot easier in practice. But I will say he's a competitor. You know, it's, it's always back and forth. And that's how you know you're going to be good. Like when you're going through, uh, you know, two-minute drills and situationally uh, football, you know, situations where we're going through, um, you know, red zone, you know, uh, short yardage, you know, going through all the different uh, situations. You know, he really, like he always is on point of understanding what he has to do to, to win the ball game. And he makes it really tough on, his, on, our, on our defense. And we pride ourselves on having a pretty good defense. You know, I think that's really what Ravens football is all, all about. You know, we want to win on our defense. So, uh, you know, when we go back and forth and, you know, especially during like the, you know, the uh, training camp days, you know, uh, I mean, it, it was tough. But, you know, we know that if, if Lamar's leading us, we got a chance to win. So 
know, I love him. That's exactly right. You definitely have a chance to win with him as your quarterback. Now, there's another reason why I respect you. You are the vice president of the Players Association, and you have been very outspoken about the dangers of slit film turf. And I'm not sure people understand what that is. Now, the Jets and Giants recently said that they're going to get rid of it for next season at MetLife Stadium. Do you think the NFL is listening to players' complaints and injury data telling them to do so? Oh, well, I hope so. You know, uh, I, I wish it was all the teams, and I wish they were doing it now. Uh, you know, but I guess, I mean, we'll take, we'll take what we can get. You know, the, the number one thing, though, is, is we just want to be healthy. You know, uh, this is, it's, a game, it's a beautiful game of football. We love it. Everybody who plays a game of football, you know, you, you have to go through a lot. You have to sacrifice a lot to be on that field, you know. And so for me, it's like, you know, we just want to be in an environment where it's safe, you know. And, of course, I think most of the players, you talk to them, you know, I think I haven't heard anybody say they prefer turf over grass. Uh, but then, you know, I get it. You know, turf is easier to maintain. You can do all the concerts from a business standpoint. Just allow for you to get more revenue. So I get why you want turf. Uh, but then there's some turf is just, you know, that makes a lot more sense uh, than the, you know, slip film turf is just it's terrible. You know, the data says it. The NFL has the data. You know, uh, they recommend to the teams to change it. But, you know, we, we wanted as players uh, for them to mandate it, you know, for it to be a mandatory thing. Uh, and immediately, you know, but we didn't we didn't get that done. Uh, but, you know, I think uh, we brought a lot of awareness to it, you know, and then uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get it done in the, uh, going into next season. You know, the goal is to have uh, all the teams uh, at least having, you know, the safer turf that's out there. If they're going to be want to have turf, make it the safer turf. But ideally, we'd love to be all grass. Yeah, I, I kind of feel that they are listening and things are going to start to change, and I do appreciate that. I wish you could have seen some of the fields that we used to play on Calais. You wouldn't have believed it. All right, we're just getting warmed up with the great Calais Campbell of the Baltimore Ravens. We'll look back at his formative days in the Mile High City when game time continues right after this. Welcome back to Game Time, everyone. Calais Campbell was one of eight children growing up in Denver. His parents worked multiple jobs and different shifts to make ends meet. Yet, sometimes even their Herculean efforts weren't enough to pay the rent. And Calais, I know that when you were 11, you and your family had to live for a while in a homeless shelter. And you've said for a long time you were embarrassed by that. But you tried to block it out of your memory. But then you said you needed to talk about it. Why is that? Well, because, I mean, I know there's kids out there right now going through the same thing that we went through, you know, me and my brothers and sisters, you know, um, it's just it's something that is hard to go through, you know. Uh, but when you know that somebody else has been through it and came out on the other end and was able to accomplish some great things, I think it's just it's motivation. You know, I think uh, some of the biggest things you can give to a child who's going through tough times is hope, you know, uh, and just that know that if they work really hard and they, uh, you know, and they make the right decisions, that they can have a great life, you know, they can have everything they want, you know, their dreams can come true. So, you know, if I think back to those days, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you know, uh, I, I had my family, so we were we were always together, we were strong. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, it, it was hard. It was very tough times, you know, and uh, you try to block out your mind and forget about it, but, you know, it's a part of you, it's who you are, you know, it's, it's part of your, your journey, your story. So, you know, I just want to inspire and encourage people going through tough times that um, if they just stay the course, that there are better days ahead. It's a brave message for sure. I know your dad, Charles, was a major force in your life, and he was a teacher and a disciplinarian. And uh, is it true that he actually made you write an essay for every mistake you made? And do you remember any of those essays? And I'm glad my dad never asked me to do this, I got to tell you. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think it probably started when I was like, you know, maybe 10 or 11. 
Uh, I don't know. It wasn't something I think that uh, happened before. I don't know where he got it from, but once we got in trouble, if we got in trouble for any, any reason, <laughs> we got to, you know, we got put on punishment and we got to write an essay to, to get out of punishment. So, you know, uh, I remember one, one year though, it wasn't just an essay. You had to kind of talk about what happened and it was who, what, and why you won't do it anymore. And, um, I, uh, I, I spent like literally like three months in punishment because I didn't want to tell the truth. And, uh, you know, it was a great lesson my dad taught me. But, yes, you know, writing papers, writing essay uh, to get out for punishment is something that uh, I think it was a, a great choice my dad made because I'm a lot better writer because of it. And uh, I think it helps you to understand, you know, just how to do how to be, you know, how to do uh, more right than wrong. You know what? Your dad is a smart man. Now, as a sophomore, get this, folks, out there in high school, you had an eight-inch growth spurt from six foot to six eight where you presently stand. You're a mountain of a man. I'm just wondering, did that present any huge physical challenges for you? I know that you played basketball, and of course, your performance on the football field, you probably got moved from one position to another because of that size growth. Yeah, I think the biggest thing in the size growth is that I didn't know I was as tall as I was, so I kept hitting my head on door frames. (laughs) (laughs) Most door frames are 6'6", and so I just kept started just busting my head like every other week, and I I realized quick I had to start ducking. Uh, life changed fast, but uh, from a from a sports standpoint, though, I got a whole lot better at basketball and football too. I, I mean, I just you know you, you learn how to use your length. Uh, I was kind of falling down a little bit, kind of like a, a baby a baby giraffe, you know, trying to get get, get used to my uh, my legs. But um, yeah, no, I was great for sports. You know, you were also a national standout prospect, as many probably would know that. You were recruited by Colorado State, Nebraska, LSU, Michigan, Oklahoma, and, of course, San Diego State. So what made you choose the U, University of Miami? Well, back, uh, back then, I mean, the U was the best team in football. Like, most of my childhood, uh, they, were, they were the most dominant team. And, um, you know, uh, but for me, I was a really – I was a diehard uh, CU Buffalo fan. Uh, at the time, and then my brother went to Colorado State, so they come, came on the list because I wanted to go to school with my brother. Uh, but I chose Miami because, uh, you know, I mean, I felt like it was the best football program, and I took an unofficial visit there. I got to see the campus, uh, talked to some of the, the coaches, and I saw a lot of NFL players there coming back to train, and I was like, if NFL players come back to the train, they're doing something right. You know, so it was a place I wanted to be a part of. Plus, I knew they had really good academics. I knew the school <laughs> was a really top school, so I wanted to be a part of it. Turning back to your NFL career, as a rookie with the Arizona Cardinals back in 2008, you found yourself in Super Bowl 43 and came ever so close to defeating the Pittsburgh Steelers, and what a game that was. So what do you remember most about that whole experience, and did you think back then as a 22-year-old that you'd be coming back to the Super Bowl again? The thing I kind of take the most from it is that since I was a young buck, you know, my rookie year, being lucky enough to go to the Super Bowl, I kind of figured that it would be something I can do again. Like, it was like, yeah, man, we're good. We're, we're a great team. We'll be doing this every other year, you know? And, uh, you know, kind of, I, I felt like I didn't really appreciate it the way I would today, you know? And so um, it, it was an incredible game. I mean, just being there, you know, I have friends all the time ask me, you know, would you rather play the Super Bowl and lose or just not make it at all? And I'm like, well, I'd rather play and lose, 100%. Give me a chance to win, you know? Yeah. I love I love being in the game. It was, a, it was an incredible game. You know, we we, had, we gave it the best shot. It just wasn't meant to be. Uh, but uh, I, lo- I you know I hope to get back. You know, I feel like I get, if I get back, I definitely will appreciate it and cherish it a whole lot more. Yeah, you had a couple great teammates by the name of Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald, amongst a bunch of others. And I was a broadcaster for that game. That was one of the great Super Bowls of all time. Now you did get back to the NFC Championship game in 2015, only to get beaten by Carolina and Cam Newton. But in your 2017 All-Pro season, you led Jacksonville to the AFC title game at New England. Now, first off, how different is Blake Bortles from Kurt Warner? 
<laughs> it was very, very different, you know. Uh, but that's how it goes. It's football. Um, but yeah, that game, that game was, was crazy because we were up ten points, you know, with like five minutes to go. You know, we feel like we made a play to win the ball game. Uh, you know, and just I mean, you kept just kept fighting. But then it's you know you're going against Tom Brady, and you know as you've seen, you know time and time again, he makes he makes the plays to win the ball game. Uh, and I'm still frustrated about that one too. That one stings. Just thinking about it because you know I feel like we, you know we were the better team and we just didn't get it done. But uh, yeah, man, it would have been sweet to, to to get over the hump then. But you know, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year. Now, one more game I want to ask you about, and uh, it took place back in October of 2014. Now, your Cardinals, you were still with the Cardinals then, were visiting the Broncos in your hometown. And you grew up a Broncos fan, is that correct? Diehard Broncos fan. All right, so, all right, so in that game, you were able to actually get this, folks. He got his first career interception, and who was the quarterback of the Broncos that day? That was Peyton Manning. Now, is it true, A, that Peyton actually tackled you, and B, the day before, you had actually joked with your friends about something like that happening? Yes, they're both true. Literally, the day before, I just I went to eat with a bunch of my friends from, from high school, and uh, we're, we're talking, and I'm just I'm feeling really good. You know, I'm back home. I think it was like the first time ever playing the Denver 2, other than pre- preseason or whatever. So I'm back home, and I'm talking about, like, I feel good. I'm about to make some plays. I might get three sacks. And I might mess around, catch an interception, pick six. And he was like, man, you're so clumsy. You probably get tackled by Peyton Manning. I'm like, man, ain't no way in the world Peyton Manning's going to tackle me. Like, zero chance. Sure enough, the next the next day, I, uh, I saw the play. I read the screen. You know, got my hands together. You know, snatched that ball to air. And I was headed to the end zone. And uh, Peyton Manning just got me. got a fingernail on me. Didn't get much. And, uh, you know, the whole way down, I'm thinking to my, like, my, my friends. We call him Slim. It's like, thinking, man, he jinxed me, man. It's all his fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering, have you been on the Manning cast yet? I have not. I have not. I need to go on. You need on to go on there. You, you need to go on there and you need to talk some trash to Peyton Manning about that, all right? Yeah, I can't talk no trash. I let him tackle me, man. He's like one of the 12 tackles, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, later on in that same contest, unfortunately, if you remember this, I'm sure you do, Denver tight end Julius Thomas hit you with a cut block that your coach Bruce Arians called the dirtiest play he's ever seen. Now, I can argue with that because I've been on the other end of some of these dirty plays. As the NFL's competition committee cleaned up the rules sufficiently in your eyes to minimize dangerous actions such as that uh, that hit that you took to defensive linemen. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, the co- competition committee, you know, they've been working to make the game a lot safer. I feel like uh, the majority of it goes to the offense, you know, but, you know, that's how it goes. Um, but I, I, I definitely uh, feel like there are some things that we, we would like to still change on defensive side that we talk about and we send to them. And, uh, you know, I know they discuss it. So, uh, but uh, that block was already illegal. You know, they threw a flag. You know, I think they scored a touchdown on the play, but they got called back because of that. Uh, but it's just like, you know, it's hard to, you know, I mean, you, you can change the rules, but then you have to change the culture of the game. And they do that with fines and stuff like that. But it takes time, you know. Uh, but the game has definitely become a lot more safe. You know, when I was a young buck and I was, you know, 2008, went to the Super Bowl stuff, the game was a completely different game. It's not even close to the same game now. You know, these young guys come in and they ask me about, like, you know, when I first started, and I'm like, man, wow, it's just, I mean, the game is still a beautiful game. It's still football, but it's completely different. It's played a whole, a whole different style of football. All right, well, we're going to be back with Clayus Campbell to discuss, if you can call it it, the fine art of playing defensive line in the NFL. Is there really an art to it, Clayus? We'll talk to him right after this. (laughs) 
Welcome back, everyone. Calais Campbell is not only big, physical, and agile, as you can tell, he's also a remarkably versatile athlete who's been named to the Pro Bowl, get this, as both a defensive end and a defensive tackle. And Calais, I just wonder, you know, from your perspective, is it easier to make it as a tackle or a defensive end to the Pro Bowl? <laughs> it's tough. Either way, really, you know, uh, there's a lot of great players in this league, and you have to win ball games too, you know. Um, I think, uh, you know, in this, you know, it's voted on by what you know, the fans, the coaches, and the players. And I feel like, uh, you know, uh, you really have to play some good football, and you have to be playing at the right time to get the vote. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's probably easier as a D tackle than the DN, uh, just because uh, with, D, with the DNs, the numbers, the sack numbers get way higher, and. You know, a lot of times, like, for me, I feel like I play football just for the love of the game, and I never really chase stats. You know, I've gotten good stats over my career, but I never chased them. Uh, and then, but there's some, you know, just, you know, if you don't get those crazy numbers, it's really hard to get into the Pro Bowl. But, uh, you know, fortunate for me, I've been able to get into a few of them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun playing those Pro Bowls. I'm kind of going to miss that there's no more, no longer a game. I know fans do, like, we want more competitive football, but it was still fun playing those games. You know, I don't want to insult you. I just think the defensive end is more like the model type and the defensive tackle is the guy that does all the grunt and dirty work. Am I right about that? Almost definitely. You know, if you play down inside, you know, we call it, uh, you know, in the trenches uh, down there with the double teams. Because a defensive end, you know, you can double team by tight ends. You know, it's different. Those guys are like 260 at the biggest. You know, when you're playing, that, you know, in that three technique, in a D tackle wall, you're getting double teamed by guys who are 300 pounds, 320 pounds, you know, coming on you, you know, both sides. And so it's, it's a little bit different in there, you know, but, um, you know, that's where I've probably played the majority of my career. And uh, being 6'8, you know, uh, 300 pounds, you know, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough sliding in there, but, you know, you play with good technique, you play with a little edge, so you a little fire, you fire off the ball, you know, you, you can survive. No, this is a little bit in the weeds. Now, you've had a myriad of head coaches and defensive coordinators. Some favored a 3-4 defense. Others favored a 4-3. I hated personally playing against a 3-4 defense. Do you have a preferred scheme? So, uh, when I was young, I, I really wanted to play in the 4-3 and play on the edge. You know, I just felt like I could have made a lot of plays. Uh, but I just I got drafted to a team that played in the 3-4. And when I finally left in free agency in my 10th year, I went to Jacksonville because I wanted to play in the 4-3 and play true the end. And uh, that was a good experience, you know, and I feel like I had a lot more success in that 4-3 system. Uh, so I prefer it personally from like a from an individual standpoint, but 3-4 allows you to do so much more as a coach. You know, you can drop a lot more plays because everything looks balanced and you can blitz a lot more and you can affect the games more. So if I'm coaching, I see why, you know, 3-4 makes sense. But as a player, you know, and one uh, you know, go out there and affect the game, I feel like a 4-3 was always the best place to do it. You know, you're a great defensive player, and on that side of the ball, you've been a stalwart your entire career. But what people may not know, that you're also a remarkable success on special teams, blocking eight field goals. So I know being 6'8 and having really long arms helps, but there's got to be a secret to be able to get through some of those cracks of the offensive line. Yeah, you know, that's definitely uh, uh, techniques, you know. And we work those techniques all the time. And then there's, uh, I think, some of those instincts, you know, tracking along the ball. You know, we're trying to get a feel for, like, where the kickers are going to, uh, how, how high they're going to put it, where they're going to put it. But it's tough, you know. Uh, it's really hard to block a kick in the NFL. These kickers are so good. They get the ball up so fast. And so you have to be almost perfect. And then, you know, uh, a lot, I feel like a lot of times when I get my block kicks, you know, the offensive line kind of, like, they fall asleep a little bit. They're just playing technique. But once you block a kick, you know, they're, they're worried about you. you know? They're like, oh, this is 93. Look, you know, make sure we get 93. You know, I got, <laughs> I got double teams on me most of the time. So, uh, you know, hopefully try to make space for other guys. But it's, it's really hard to block a kick. 
You know, maybe fans don't understand this, but you guys watch a lot of tape when it comes to where the kicker sets up, how long the kicker takes, what kind of launch angle he has. All of that stuff goes into your playbook, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we watch it. We talk through it, you know, because uh, usually we have like a, a three-man rush, you know, interior, and we kind of talk where we want to line up, you know, um, the position, you know, where the, line, the flight of the balls is going to come over. Uh, if it's to come over the guard, each kicker is different, you know. Uh, and then we kind of just kind of, you know, have a plan rushing together, you know, and that's the best way to be successful. And uh, between me and uh, 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 Brett Urban, uh, Brett Urban, uh, I feel like, you know, we, we both have been great uh, blocking kicks. And so when we do it together, man, it's, it's pretty special. As I noted at the top of the podcast back in 2019, you received the NFL's most prestigious honor, the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award for Excellence on the field, coupled with community service activities and philanthropy. So, Calais, what does this particular honor mean to you? For a while now, that's been the most prestigious award in football. And, uh, you know, just as a football fan and seeing all the people who won it before, you know, I mean, I got to play with two of them. Uh, really, three of them uh, between uh, you know uh, uh, Kurt Warner, Larry Fitzgerald, and Quan Bowden, and uh, it just was something that uh, to me, you know, to watch those guys pave the way, and then kind of follow in their footsteps, you know, it's pretty cool. You know, I mean, those guys are legends in the game, so um, you know, uh, it was such a good feeling, such a good day for me and my family, and just you know, the, the foundation what we do, it's really a, a family foundation. You know, I, I you know I have a lot of people doing a lot of good work. You know, and so for us as a team, you know, I feel like that's something that we, you know, it's cool to say that we all done. That foundation is the CRC Foundation, folks, and it's named after uh, Calais's uh, dad. And I'm trying to think in particular, I know you have a special interest in recognizing and funding the efforts of teachers because of your dad. Yeah, you know, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, the power's in the youth, right? You know, and so when my dad was, uh, was young, he had... Um, after-school programs, like, you know, places for just kids to come and, and stay, out of, stay out of trouble. You know, we know, uh, you know, a lot of times just having a place to go uh, to be uh, to be safe. And so, uh, you know, he didn't have any money, you know, grew up, you know, uh, you know, we grew up tough times. But he just knew that if he could have a place that people could come to and do their homework, have a safe place, you know, that the kids would be, the community would be better off. And so um, following his footsteps, you know, he passed away when I was uh, 17 and when I made it to the NFL, talking with my family, it was like, we want to do something to honor him and just what he stood for, his legacy. And so we created our foundation to, uh, to to really just go out and try to empower the youth. And the people who are most uh, who are the most responsible for the youth are usually the parents and the teachers. And so uh, we really want to empower teachers as well. You know what, Clayus, I always say, never forget where you came from. And last year, people should know that you donated $30,000 to your alma mater, South High School in Denver, to help them switch their nickname and branding from Rebels to Ravens, and why was that so personally important to you? Yeah, you know, uh, that's something that uh, was in the works for a while. And, uh, you know, uh, athletic director uh, was my basketball coach, and we have a great relationship. And, I, you know, I go back every year uh, and, and work with the team and just, like, you know, just stay really involved in the school. And we're talking through it and talking about it, and it was just something that, um, you know, just needs to be done, you know, with just the history and uh, just all this different stuff, you know, just going on uh, in the community at the time. You know, it was it was due time to change the name, and uh, you know uh, there was a, a, a fan vote, uh, you know, from all the people around the, around the neighborhood in the school, and uh, I was really happy to see the Ravens won, just because you know currently being a Raven and just you know the love I have for Ravens, I was glad that uh, I get to share that you know forever now uh, with my, my high school as well. 
You know, in 2015, Calais, you uh, donated $1.6 million to the University of Miami. You're incredible, by the way. And you endowed a full scholarship for defensive linemen on the Hurricanes football team. Now, do you keep up with any of these scholarship recipients? Yeah, I mean, I try to keep up with a bunch of guys on the team. You know, we keep a relationship. You know, um, the reason why I really did that, though, is just to kind of remind the, the guys going to school there to play football, uh, but to also, you know, you're there for school and to get an education. You know, I, I, I know firsthand making it to the NFL is hard. So many sacrifices, and not everybody's going to be able to do that. No matter how good of a player you are, you know, they're just it's, – it's, it's hard, you know, staying healthy and everything else. So I want to make sure guys, uh, you know, respected the part of the, the school that came with it and uh, get your degree – you know, majoring something that you really want to, you know, work in in that field if football doesn't work out. And so, um, you know, it was just, a, it was trying to send a message. And so I make sure every time I go back to school, when I communicate and talk to those guys, you know, that they take, uh, you know, make sure they uh, don't don't miss out on, the, on the, the opportunities they have in the school system as well. You are a part of the Phoenix community. You're a part of your hometown community, of course, in Denver. You're a part of the Baltimore community. And lo and behold, down in Jacksonville, you started a book club. Give me a quick book report on the book Slam by Walter Dean Myers. And what kind of book club did that lead to in Jacksonville? Yeah, you know, uh, it really started out, uh, you know, I remember when I was young, you know, my dad had me writing essays and, you know, he used to like, make us read and stuff, but I never really read for fun. You know, I, I feel like everything was just kind of like forced upon me. Uh, and so I was just kind of like doing it because I had to. And then I remember having a teacher um, and uh, her name was Mrs. Love. And uh, she challenged me uh, to, like, find a book that I could relate to that I really would, would enjoy. And, I, you know, she ended up recommending a slam to me. And that was the first time I wrote a book. And I was like, wow, I mean, page turner. Couldn't put it down. I loved every minute of reading it. And that was the first time I really, you know, fell in love with reading. And now I read all the time. And so I, I think, uh, you know, when I started the book club, I just really want to encourage people to find reading, you know, some, find something that they really enjoy reading. Because, you know, once you kind of, you know, uh, empower yourself with, with words and books, you know, I mean, there's so much information, so much knowledge out there. So uh, the book club was uh, inspired just to, you know, just get, you know, get kids reading. You know, I mean, uh, the, the sky's the limit and there's a lot of information in those books. So I want to make sure those kids uh, understand that uh, reading is power. You see, folks, defensive linemen are human beings as well. So our thanks to the great Calais Campbell for joining us today on Boomer Science. I'll see you again real soon right here on Game Time with Thomas Morstead of the Miami Dolphins.